Okay, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Stephen Trinkwald. We are just going to pick up part two of our 25 players, 25 and under rankings. If you remember, uh, we started this exercise last week, got through about 11 or so players each. Initially just recorded this as one episode before deciding to split it up into two parts. So here is part two. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. Okay, so I had Maria Vidiva at number 10. And this was one I kind of struggled with because her WNBA body of work isn't um, isn't that extensive yet. And it's been a couple of years since we've seen her play at the WNBA level. But I'm, I kind of took a question that you posed to the general populace on Twitter, uh, asking that uh, where would Vadiva rank on the Sparks had she played last season in terms of, you know, would she be like, where would she rank in, in their bigs rotation? And I don't think she'd be any worse than their second best big, honestly. Um, she is, what I really like about Vidiva, and I kind of said this about McCowan as well, uh, she plays to her size. Like, she welcomes contact. She plays through it. It's hard to move her off of her spot. And I don't think anyone's going to be calling Maria, Maria Vidiva soft. She's she's such a bull. She's so yeah, strong. A bull. For, I like that. I like that. She's and, But she's also got a really soft touch. Like, she's got skills. She's got low post skills as well as some pick-and-roll chops that she showed in her age 20 season back in 2019. So, I mean, it's been a while since we've seen her, but I'm willing to kind of uh, extrapolate on this and say that when Vidiva shows up next, she's going to be a, a pretty darn good WMA big. Now, the next thing I need to see from her is becoming an impact defender. I think that's, for me at least, that's the difference between her and Ezzy Magbuger right now, is that Magbuger has that playmaking ability on the defensive end that Vidiva doesn't, doesn't really have, or hasn't really shown, rather. But as far as offensive skill, I mean, Vidiva is a power big who is really showing a lot of power. And she, like you were saying, she is extremely skilled. There's there's really no doubt in my mind that Maria Vidiva can be a very, very effective offensive player in the league. I have no idea what to expect her to look like as a defender playing heavy WNBA minutes. You know, she's in such a, a unique situation in EuroLeague that you can't really extrapolate too much from that. But, you know, she's... She's shown you enough offensively that, uh, so I had her 16th. I had her in the same tier as T.R. McCowan, who I had 14th in that kind of, can these bigs be starters tier? And just the the question marks I have on defense. The other one thing is like, I, I wish that we did see a tiny bit more stretch from her overseas. I think that would go a long way. You know, she, she is so, so effective around the basket. And, you know, you watch a couple EuroLeague games and she's just getting, you know, multiple and ones every single game. She's overqualified. Yeah, yeah she, she she's definitely overqualified for her role, for sure. And she can stretch a little bit. You know, she can stretch out to 18. We've seen her take 30 or so threes in her 380 or so WNBA minutes. She doesn't really take them overseas, um, at least not that in the games that I've seen her play. So Vadiva is a player that I'm a big believer in, but I just, I can't, evaluate really the defense enough to to have her so high but she's a she's one of my favorite players to watch in EuroLeague for sure um but I I had her 22nd last year and I had her 16th this year so between seeing a little bit more of UMMC uh over the last couple years and you know just some pretty good players graduating out she was a riser for me but not quite as high as you have her I would say okay and uh for those listening if if you're not familiar with EuroLeague or, or the team we're talking about uh, she's currently playing in Russia for UMC Ekaterinburg. And uh, as far as Steven alluded to her role, um, she's also playing on the same team as John Cole Jones, Brittany Griner, Emma Misaman, Ellie Quigley, uh, would-be Brianna Stewart if uh, she didn't hurt her Achilles. So would-be would Courtney Vandersloot if she was not. Would, yeah, 
yeah, Vandersloot as well. So just a ridiculously stacked team. So it's it's kind of hard to to draw conclusions from that. But yeah, Vidiva has been great. Um, I had Queer at number eleven. So who do you have at, at eleven? So I have uh, reigning Rookie of the Year, Michaela Onyenwede. Okay. We talked about her a lot uh, just a couple of weeks ago in our our Wings show. Uh, wh- where does she show up for you? Before I kind of get into it. Oh gosh, I think I might have had her a little bit low. I had her at eighteen. Okay. So for me, the fact that she showed what what she did in terms of being, especially for a rookie, I would say, a really, really good play finisher. The defense definitely needs big, big improvements, especially because she's undersized as a four already. We need to be able to see her guard, you know, not get blown by by pretty much anyone she's defending in the perimeter. Her her lateral quickness, I think, is probably everyone's biggest question mark about kind of how effective she can be long term. But as someone who hit her threes really effectively, finished at the rim really pretty pretty effectively for kind of you know where she is in her career showed really nice knack for a cutter you know she's the fourth youngest player on this list I think you know she's only going to go up from here I do think again she's probably a natural four defensively because of that lack of lateral quickness but she is really really strong so even if she's not you know a plus rebounder for being a, a, an undersized four, her I, I mean maybe this is too high because I actually don't think she can really give you any minutes at the the three, but to, to be able to, I don't know, do the things that she can do as, as someone who can, who can hit the corner three really well, can kind of hit it from above the break, can really attack the closeouts, gets to the line. You know, she just has really, really impressive athleticism that it's not hard to see this version, but even, even better, uh, you know, a couple years from now. Okay. So I'm going to go back to something I said earlier about Satu Sadali, about a player who can, who has positional versatility, but you're using it to take advantage of the defense or, or to kind of push your own advantage. I think Onyenwere has positional versatility, but at the same time, you're looking to cover for her weaknesses in, in whichever matchup she's playing against. And for me, that's that that's, that's a concern. Uh, like you said, like defense on the perimeter is a problem. I don't think she's I don't think she's a good enough playmaker, honestly, to be playing on the perimeter. Like if, if she gets the ball, she is she's not passing it. She she or I mean, if she's going into a an offensive move, she's not passing. She's looking to finish. Which is fine, um, but one, I, I think I need to see her her usage be a little bit higher if she's going to be exclusively a play finisher. And also, I mean, uh, like, where is she defending in the post or on the perimeter? Or it's just I, I I can't dodge that question. That's I think she's got a very high ceiling as an athlete. That's undeniable. It's what's her ceiling as a basketball player that is. Uh, it's kind of causing. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say concern, but. Uh, cautious i'm cautious okay i think that's fair uh number it's weird talking about the reigning rookie of the year like this but it was such a such a weird year for the rookie class because i feel like her situation i mean she was just in the best in the best situation out of anybody i mean she she wasn't you know one of their five best players in in fairness you know what i'm saying she was the the sixth best player on a team that had six capable players essentially right right okay moving on have you done number 12 yet i have not okay um number 12 i had marina mabry and the reason I had her ranked where she is is because I just can't put anybody above her. I'm not sure what her um, her ceiling is. It may not be very high, but we've seen two seasons now of Marina Mabry being a, a really plus combo guard who has just got this electrifying offensive package. Even if, it, even if she's kind of streaky, the team has been better with her on the court. Um, thank you to Positive Residual, by the way, for on-off lineup statistics. It is very helpful and very interesting information. Um, 
yeah, the wings are better with Mabry on the court. And I don't know how much that is correlation. I don't know how much of it is causation. But, you know, I think they made a case for her as being most improved player, which I think is kind of nonsense, partially because her, she was really good in 2020 as well. But like I said, I mean, she's proven to be this really effective combo guard. I would love to see her create a little bit more for others. Like I said, she takes a lot of jump shots off the dribble. She was hitting them, so they look good. But, I mean, there's no question that Marina Mabry can score. And I think she, she's kind of an underrated defender as well. She really gets after it on defense. Um, she just got this this edge to her game, you know, uh, that, that, I, that I think is, is really valued. But I need to see her kind of impart that on her teammates a little bit. But, yeah, I have her ranked at number 12. I, I also need to see her kind of be able to keep up that early season efficiency over the course of the season. Yes, that's true. Well, you, you had said that you couldn't have anybody else higher. I had one other player higher, but, but I'm with you. I, I had maybe 13, so we're pretty close here. Okay. Up from 20 last year. Uh, and one thing I had said last year is that she's best suited as a third guard, but doesn't really have the versatility to play next to another point guard. I think she showed that she can play both guards positions in this league adequately. And, you know, defensively, I think she can hang with most twos um, if she's a little bit smaller for maybe some of the, the absolute biggest twos. But, you know, she she had really good, you know, they, they played some pre- pretty good two point guard lineups with Mabry out there. Um, yeah, the efficiency dipped over the course of the season, but, you know, she proved she was one of the best players on, on a pretty decent team. She's a very explosive scorer. She has a very, very versatile shot. She can and will pull from anywhere, which I, I like personally. I kind of like seeing those, you know, 32 footers uh, or what have you, you know, she can, she can put it on the deck a little bit. She can handle a little bit. She can pass a little bit. She can grift a little bit to kind of get to the line, you know, maybe not uh, earning those free throws, but she gets there and, you know, she, she's not Steph Talbot, right? She can do some things off the bounce. You know, the shooting is what opens everything up, but, but there's more to her game than just the shooting. So that's a good way of putting it. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty high on Mabry. The only player that we hadn't talked about that I had higher than her was Julie Aleman. Uh, where did you have Julie? Okay, that's interesting. I had Alamond at 15, so not too far off. Okay, so we're in the same neighborhood. I mean, there's not really too much that we can say about Julie that, that we didn't say last year. Uh, I had her 16 last year, but, you know, this was just a lot of good players graduated off the list. And I think, you know, this offense, when you compare Indiana from 2020 to 2021, you know, they just missed what Alamond did so much in terms of being, yeah. you know, she, she just has such a great floor game to me in terms of, you know, the, the usage is a little bit low. She turns it over a lot, but she's a, a dead eye three point shooter. She's a really great passer. She will not necessarily get to the rim to score, but she'll get to the rim to probe and to open up others. And maybe I'm higher than Indiana is considering they, they drafted a guard in the lottery who uh, is, is much lower on this list for me. If she, I, she's not even in my 25 spoiler alert, but I mean, Julie Aleman is just, you know, a really nice player. I agree. I agree. And, you know, I was looking at her numbers cause I mean, it's weird doing this for players who didn't play last season, but, but played in 2020. Cause you kind of got to look at everything. You kind of got to relearn their games and everything. Um, I think what she showed in her one season was very impressive. I think she's a very, you said it. I mean, she, she just has a great floor game and she's a really, really good shooter. I mean, Julie Allman can shoot the heck out of the basketball. When I saw, I looked at her numbers on Synergy and um, she only had five transition points the entire 2020 season, which is very strange for me because but, I would but think- you watch the film and she's, she's running up and down the court. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, why can't she kind of play the Allie Quigley type of transition role? where she just runs straight to the wing or runs straight to the corner and just either pulls a defender with her or, or, or cans a three-pointer. I mean, I know she can do that. That's That shouldn't be a question. So 
I'm kind of wondering if Alman is, is more of like a secondary playmaker than a primary one. I mean, you don't want to take the ball out of her hands because she's such a good, like you said, because her floor game is so good. But I'm wondering if you can kind of maybe use her as, as a little bit of a shooting decoy. It, it, the, the offensive fit next to Kelsey Mitchell is just, is just kind of weird for me. So I don't know if we'll ever see that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think she's just a very gifted offensive player. Defensively, um, she's she's out there. But offensively, she's she's awesome. And I'm really excited to see Alman back in the league soon. So my next player is number 15, the player that I had number 10 last year. So this is the player in my Can These Bigs Be Starters in between Tierra McCowan and Maria Vadiva. This is where I had Bella Allery, uh, a player who, if I had to guess, probably isn't on your list at all. No, she is on my list, actually. Um, it was after much deliberation, and she is much lower than uh, you have her. But go ahead and, and make the case for, for Bella. Okay. I mean, I've just kind of, you know, two seasons in, I've come to the conclusion that she's a pretty good defensive player. I was a little ambitious on on ranking that defense last year or valuing that defense uh, last year, having her all the way at 10. Um, And for her to to drop five spots when pretty much everybody else on this list rose with all the players that, that graduated off of it, you know, that definitely, I think, speaks volumes. But I am still really high on what she does on the defensive end. Um, The fact that she not only didn't improve her outside shooting, but essentially completely stopped taking them is is pretty concerning. You know, 13 attempts her rookie year. She was just 0 for 2 in 2021. That definitely, you know, limits her upside to, you know, less of kind of the Ezzy Magbiger neighborhood and and more, you know, as sort of a one-way player, I think, because you're not even kind of spacing the floor by standing out there. And the other thing about Allery is, She's just an extremely low usage player. I think she was second lowest usage in the league behind... Uh, 9.9%. That, that's such a low number. How is that possible? Behind Kia Stokes, I think, was probably the only player that that was, uh, you know, lower usage. But even if she could get to, like, Kylie Shook levels, you know, high 30s shooting on four threes per 36 minutes, that would make her such a more valuable player. And the other negative, I'll say, is that This is a player who, at least to my understanding, kind of had everything running through them, you know, as a player that is used to having the ball in her hand. So to have more turnovers than assists this season is something that is uh, uh, not encouraging. But her feel in the pick and roll defense, her her on off numbers, I think, are very encouraging there that the film is very encouraging there. I think she's not a great player post defender you know you don't want her necessarily she's not going to stop Sylvia Falls as well as some other players can but her floor game defensively and her field defensively is a calming presence for uh, a team that you know is running out a rookie uh, center or uh, an offensive minded center in Isabel Harrison so when when you needed a kind of uh, an anchor in your defense Allery was able to sort of provide that and I think you could extrapolate that to some other situations as well okay that's a good case so I had Allery, you know, I'm not the biggest Bella Allery fan, but I was able to talk myself into ranking her 19th. Um, gosh, I, I, I talk about that like I'm, I'm, I'm doing her a favor or something, but uh, I agree. I mean, she's shown to be a pretty good um, rim deterrent and shot blocker, which is, which is great. I mean, you need, you need that in a big. And it's weird. I mean, we, we bring this up every time we talk about her, it seems like, but I just need to mention it again. It is so weird how she went from being like this, this toolsy scoring forward in college to a defensive specialist who like literally never shoots the basketball at the pro level. I mean, she ranked in the top 10 in both offensive rebounding and block percentage in, in 2021. So I give her that. That's pretty much the reason, the, the sole reason why I, I had her on this list. I mean, she's got a 
a clear defined role in Dallas and she's good at it. But I mean, my God, her usage was 9.9%. She never shoots the ball. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't have a player who just like doesn't shoot any higher than the 19th, but um, it's hard to score if you don't score. Very well said, sir. Very well said. I, I will say though, um, it's, it's, I don't think she was in the best, like there's a lot, there's kind of a log jam in the Dallas front court uh, to put that uh, lightly. So maybe her impact will be more felt if and when they kind of give her that give her more minutes and give her a more consistent starting role i mean there are just there are there are instances over the course of the season where i'm like why is allery not on the court right now but you could say that about like half the wings roster so uh i digress so i have talked about i've talked about my players one through 16 who's the highest player you have left all right, so this might be a little high, but I need to stay on brand for a second. I have Ari McDonald at number 13. And full disclosure, like she wasn't that great last season, but let's 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 look at the facts here, the facts. Uh, it, it was a horrid situation in Atlanta, particularly for a young point guard to be in. I mean, you have organizational mess, no real shooters on the roster. I mean, you had one shooter, but she didn't really play. Um, your best rolling big missed a big chunk of the season. Uh, they stuck a, they kind of stuck Ari McDonald behind a mediocre veteran on an expiring contract for some reason, even though they weren't really making the playoffs. So, I mean, her struggles were obvious, but they were understandable to me. I mean, her, her jumper was considered to be a bit shaky in college. And I think she had a lot of circus attempt finishes at the rim for a young player who was kind of getting adjusted to the speed of the game. But she was a really good defensive player out of the box. She ranked in the 93rd percentile guarding the pick and roll ball handler. That's really good. And that quantifiable skill is more than I can say for a lot of other rookies, particularly guards. Um, if we're talking, but let's, I'll be honest here, like, I still need to put this ranking mostly on potential because um, she didn't show that much in her rookie season. Um, but I think she'll be a solid starter in the league, particularly as a two way guard. I think McDonald, she's the type of guard who you can play through on both ends of the court. Like, she can initiate your offense and she can be an offensive playmaker, but she's also going to be guarding the point of attack. And she is going to give you the flexibility to play some a little more aggressive defensive schemes because of just how much she gets gets after it, you know, both on and off the basketball. And I think that's a really valuable thing to have. I don't know how many WNBA guards are both really good on and off ball defenders while also being able to create some plays off the dribble. So based on that potential mold, I have Ray McDonald at 13. 13? Um, wow, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe a little high, but... Um, there, there are some issues in creating this list that I, that I won't, uh, say on air. Uh, I initially did not have her that high, but, um, 14, I had Brianna Turner. So oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, so do you, do you see McDonald as like a, a starting point guard on a good team in a couple of years? Yes, I do. Um, because I think she can contribute on both ends. Like I said, I offensively, I think she might be kind of, um, the learning curve might be a little steeper for her just because the jumper is, is that shaky. But honestly, even the jump shot, like the three point shot, she had some some good looking three point shots, you know, either either off the dribble or coming off screens last season. Where I thought, you know, in college, like okay, she maybe shouldn't be taking that shot. Like she's definitely working on that shot. Um, and by all accounts, I mean she's. I don't want to say something like this, but I, I have to. She's she's a really hard worker. She knows, like she's she's a great team player. And for a team like Atlanta that was basically in chaos last season, um, I think McDonald is going to be a big part of that team moving forward. And then my next players, I had Bree Turner and Julia Allman, who we already talked about. Okay, I had McDonald. So I have five players in this tier, starting at number 17. I, I called them sixth or seventh players. Uh, 
McDonald was in this tier, but not at the top of the tier. She was number 19 for me. I disagree with you in that I don't think she winds up being a starting caliber point guard, but certainly a very, very good guard. And I think what my biggest question about her being a very good guard is can she defend both positions? Will she be able to play alongside shooting guards and point guards? Uh, what I like about McDonald is that she can absolutely just blow by closeout. She has a hard, quick, straight line drive. You know, maybe not a ton of shake in, in necessarily in my evaluation of her. Uh, and again, this is only going off her rookie season. I, I really only saw her tournament run in college, so not a, a whole lot of body of work there. A lot of people did. That's it's fine. Uh, <laughs> um but, you know, seven and a half threes per 36 minutes, that's a really impressive number for a, a rookie guard. You know, 104 three-point attempts this season, and she was not a terrible shooter. You can see her improving over the course of her season with the number of attempts that she put up already. I'm impressed with her speed and quickness getting to the rim. And, you know, you mentioned some wild shots, but mostly staying under control. It feels like her, much like Sabley, her left for a left-handed jump shooter, much less confidence in her lefty finishing than her righty. But, you know, I I just question her, I guess her her high level viability besides the, the shot, you know, the the one or two position defender. Uh will she be able to hang physically with twos? Because she's she's not, you know, the biggest guard out there. So I really like her in the future as kind of a bench guard on a really good team. Maybe she can make it to a starting point guard and kind of prove me wrong here. Um, but I was a little bit lower on her. Okay. Fair concerns. Fair concerns. Um, so, so I'm up to number 17. Now, have you gotten that far already? I'm on 16 right now. Okay. And 16, I have, I have Jackie young. So she started on a lot of very successful teams already throughout her career. And she's kind of steadily improved. That being said, I mean, there are definitely valid worries about her basically being schemed out of a game. As you always like to bring up, I mean, in a, in a five-game series, you think about who you're going to help off of. That remains Jackie Young. I think she simply just needs to be more aggressive somewhere besides the paint. But when she does get into the paint, she can do some really good things for you. I mean, this is just really a really interesting player archetype. Like, she's basically a huge wing who can play point guard and just body people at the rim while simultaneously getting ignored everywhere else. And I know that's not a very ringing endorsement, but... I mean, I got to say, like the physicality, there, there are things that Jackie Young can do, physically speaking, that most other wing and guards just can't. And I'm willing to bet that, you know, the jump shot will become reliable enough sometime down the line where she'll become a plus enough offensive player to kind of counterbalance those weaknesses. And I think she has become a pretty darn good defender as well. So there's just a lot of things that I think are still unlocked with Jackie Young. Like I said, the weaknesses are glaring. But I don't think they're, I don't think they are, um, I don't think they condemn her to being a mediocre player by any means. I mean, she's undoubtedly a really, really, really good regular season player. That That's for certain. Like, we know that she can be a very valuable player in the regular season. She had another playoff series where she was kind of a complete non-factor offensively. You know, at least she was able to kind of stay on the court and play heavy minutes still, but was not able to be effective. And once again, unfortunately, you know, under 40% true shooting for that series. And the Aces were not a good offense when she was out there. Um, I have her 20 on my list, up from 24th last year. So her really great regular season again. And, and she she was very, very good. You know, just a sub all-star, I think. Like a very valuable regular season player who was able to be efficient and provide really great defense, like you're saying. It is kind of weird that, like, with Jackie Young, it's it's become, 
you know, she had the ball in her hand so much her rookie season, but like, she's not really a playmaker anymore. She, she's yeah. really just kind of a play finisher at this point, but a, a good one, you know, for the most part in the regular season. So the playoff limitations are, are really the only thing that is keeping me, you know, having her only 20th behind some players that I think, you know, for example, like I have Bridget Carlton 18th, like Jackie Young can do more things than Bridget Carlton, but Bridget Carlton can stand in the corner and be guarded and, and get a quick release. And, you know, she, she can't really you know, attack. She doesn't have kind of the bag necessarily that Jackie Young has, but because... She's going to compliment her teammates better. Yeah, she's just going to be a better fifth player than Jackie Young would be in a playoff series, I think. And and that's, you know, when you're getting this low into the list, you know, we don't have any more kind of MVP caliber players, I don't think. So just being able to kind of hang in a playoff series, you know, Bridget Carlton, I think, who who was 18 for me this year and 18 for me last year, like I just... I just feel better about Carlton this year. I feel better that about her five years from now. You know, Jackie okay. Young has kind of shown us enough that I, I don't know how much more upside there is, I guess. That's interesting because I'm not sure how much more upside there is for Carlton, but she's still... Oh, probably none. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so who, who do you have on 17 then? 17 is uh, a little bit more of an upside player. Uh, the second youngest player on our list here, I had Charlie Collier. Okay. Who... who was okay. really one that kind of bounced up and down this list for me as I was putting it together. Uh, not the train wreck I thought she was defensively, you know, when you kind of dive a little bit more into her film. Definitely a, a steep, steep learning curve, but she doesn't look like a stiff out there. She doesn't look disengaged. You know, there are, I guess, a little bit of promising moments, but, you know, 17 is probably still low, right, for the reigning number one overall pick. That That's not yeah. uh, the highest endorsement. Where Where did you have Collier before we dive in deeper? Uh, I had Collier at 21st. Um, I think she was put... Steven, it was almost like people were writing her off before she was even drafted. It was really weird. But then again, she didn't really get that much... Okay, so she recorded a double-double in her first WNBA game and showed she can really play in space, and then they just stopped playing her in space. It was really weird. Uh, granted, I think Collier is still not at all a finished product. I mean, I need to see her play to her size. I need to see her develop a go-to post move that isn't like a fadeaway jump shot and just be better at finishing overall. But she ranked third in the WNBA in um, percentage of possessions coming from offensive rebounds. So that is put-back possessions. And that's, like I said, very valuable thing to have. And I, you can't teach her height and length. She moves pretty well for a big of her size, at least at least moving north-south. I don't know about east I don't know about like lateral movement yet. You said not a train wreck, but not great. I mean, I think the jury's going to be out on that for a little while, but... I can't keep her off the list. I mean, she's got legitimately talent. She's got like a good frame and she's got, like we say, a bag kind of. Um, one thing that Robert Mummery talked about was her, her three point shot. I think her three point shot was kind of, it was, it was kind of over explained in college. Like, Hey, it's a stretch five. No, it's not. Charlie Kelly is not a stretch five. She's a five who shot the three occasionally. But, but, but let no me, let me just really... say that that 18 footer doesn't look bad. It, it's like a no, smooth it enough shot. You know what I mean? So I'm saying, like, that's exactly what I'm going to say. Like, I think maybe taking, uh, maybe people are getting a little ahead of themselves and saying, like, hey, she can shoot threes. Theoretically, yeah, but right now she's not being guarded out there. I wouldn't be surprised if she's a good three-point shooter in a couple seasons. So that, to me, is is what, that and the, um, just the overall, I don't want to say be tougher, but um, just play to her size more down on the post. Because, I mean, she's got the size, she's got the physical tools, just develop them. 
Well, I think one thing about her is that in order to play to her size, she does have to get stronger because the one oh, yeah. the one thing that I think she really likes is that kind of left shoulder drop step. And I think against some of like the the better post defenders or even kind of like pretty good post defenders is you just see her get stonewalled on that drop step. Uh, and it, it ends up instead of kind of like a, an advantage shot, she's sort of just kind of like throwing it up with her right hand. And we saw her, you know, one and one to 14 blocked attempts is kind of a rough ratio for a player of her skill set. She, she did just seem to get blocked a lot and she needs a left hand. She needs to be able to kind of find a counter to that drop step, which she goes to a lot. Um, it, but, it looked like a player who was used to being bigger than everyone and just suddenly wasn't. Yeah, we talked about that a lot with uh, Jackie Young uh, a couple of years ago. You know, someone who's just used to being able to get right to the front of the rim uh, and then, you know, wasn't able to anymore. But, you know, I don't think she has elite size or elite athleticism or even elite touch or skill set, but she's still showed, I think, and she was sub 50% in the restricted area, which is is not great. But I do think her touch around the basket is better than that number would indicate. And she's, even at this moment, you know, she has the size and skill to punish mismatches and not great post uh, defenses, but she's just not, not there yet. And there's also kind of not that one thing that I'm just like, okay, if blank, then, then she can really pop or then we're looking at a star, you know, it's just kind of, you know, a, a pretty good big, I think, you know, maybe a, a low level starting center, you know, like the, the eighth best starting center or, you know, a good bench center or something like that. Um, is that unfair? Do you think? No, it's not unfair. She's got a lot of things to work on. That's for certain. Okay, so we we talked uh, uh number 18, Carlton, you know, I, a player that I just feel kind of comfortable with guarding a couple of different positions. You know, she's not going to really do anything except shoot 39% on, you know, four and a half threes per 36 minutes or whatever. Another low usage player. Where where are you in terms of numbers? Because uh, Carlton is 18 for me. Okay, I still, have to, I still have to do my 17th player, and that's Ruthie Hebert. I was initially a little low on Ruthie. Um, but then as I thought a lot about it a little bit more, I mean, what I've always said about Hebert is that what you see is what you get. And that is a really, really good pick and roll finisher who has the size of a four, but will likely be more of a five. I think as far as it, what ultimately put her in this position for me is, you know, she's not going to contribute much defensively, but at the same time, I mean, she showed some quick hands, at least um, in, in some spot starts earlier in the sky season back when they were just absolutely their their depth was absolutely gutted and she basically had to start. She did have some some interesting defensive some good defensive plays that she made. Um she's not really a total sieve. She's just not that big. You know, and I think there's a difference there. Um but she's very, as you like to say, malleable offensively. And that is, I mean, you can always use another good pick and roll big on your roster. And even though she's she only had um completed two WME seasons, She's already like one of the best in the business at, at playing the pick and roll and just move, moving without the ball. Even if she's not directly involved in the pick and roll, she's a great cutter as well. I think her her uh, finishing percentages on the cut were not as uh, we're not exactly buried that statement out. But she's she's got the um, the feel for the game as far as playing without the ball, playing with the guard. I mean, she played with a pretty darn good one in college in UNESCO, and that really just prepared her for playing with Vandersloot and the rest of Chicago's guards at the next level. So I think she's more of a, a high floor, low ceiling type of player that may be like a backhanded compliment, but I think it's true. Like I said, you know what you're going to get out of Hebert. I can't put her any higher, but she's kind of a sure thing. And at this point in the list, I'm I'm willing to put her kind of in that 15 to 20 range where like, yeah, she's a serviceable player. Is she starting caliber? Maybe, maybe not. 
but she does one thing really, really well, and that's good enough to put her on the list. Okay. I did not have her on the list, although I okay. I did rank her. She just didn't make to number 25 for me. I had her uh, 29th uh, in a tier that I called Gotta Fill Out the Roster, which was uh, between 25 and 32. So, I mean, I, I validate everything you're saying. She's a really, really good offensive player. You know, maybe I just didn't give her enough consideration for this list, and there are definitely players who, you know, she had a better season in in 2021. But I don't know, just the the, the size limitations and the defensive limitations, even though she is, I think this will be a, a really interesting season coming up if she's able to kind of be thrusted into a more expanded role and, you know, see what she will be doing as sort of, you know, being consistently the third big in a rotation. I don't know if that'll be the case or not, if Chicago is able to bring everybody back. But for now, I had her a little bit lower. Okay. All right. And then I had Onyenwede at 18th. I had Allery 19th. Um, and then I had Bridget Carlton 20th. You know, I think relative to her role, she's actually one of the more underrated players in the WNBA. Like you said, she's she doesn't really take a lot of shots, but, I mean, she knocks them down, and she gets guarded, and she's also got decent pick-and-roll chops for a complimentary player as well. I mean, this is pretty surface-level stuff, but she doesn't wow you with anything, but she doesn't really have to. She's just a super solid all-around player, and good teams need players like Bridget Carlton. So who's number 21 for you? Well, I had Collier at 21. Oh, okay. So we're up to my next player who we haven't talked about 21 is Crystal Dangerfield. Okay. Um, Crystal Dangerfield, I think, has to be the biggest dropper for me year over year. I had her eighth last year for a list that is considerably less talented than last year in a list that I even kind of had some trouble filling out the bottom for Dangerfield to to see this type of drop I think speaks to how poorly it went for her in year two she was in I tweeted this out the other day but she was 64 percent in the restricted area her rookie season and that was down to 36 percent on pretty similar frequency uh in 2021 and I'm just much more convinced now that her size is going to be an inhibiting factor offensively than I was coming into the season where I thought she could be relied on to be a pretty good offensive player. Like we knew the size mm-hmm. was going to be a challenge defensively, but I just thought with her, you know, her, she's a really skilled uh, mid range player with the jump shot. And I thought that could kind of open things up for her at the rim as well. Um, you know, she was a pretty good three point shooter. Uh, I think both seasons here. So the truth with Dangerfield is probably somewhere in between these two seasons. And, and I think she'll adjust to, you know, the improved WNBA size and talent at the center position that she saw from her first year to her second year, because, you know, a lot of pretty good players came back um, from, from that bubble season. And the other thing that I just had to mention is that she playing in a much less offensive friendly environment within her own team, right? Going from that team that was number one offense playing five out once Fowles got hurt in 2020 to playing with the traditional center pretty much all the time, whether it was Fowles or Achanwa, just, you know, kind of wasn't the same situation where she had all the space to work with. And, you know, obviously they'll take having Fowles in the lineup any day of the week, but it, it was just different. You know what I mean? Not, not necessarily worse for the team, but it was certainly a worse situation for Dangerfield. Yeah, she was the uh, the biggest uh, faller, or the, she fell the furthest out of my list as well. I had her at 22, so we're we're basically on the same page there. I was listening to the previous installment of our 25 under 25, and I was kind of cringing at some of the things I said. I think one of the things I said was something along the lines of, you know, yeah, the size is a concern, but, you know, what she was able to do, you know, kind of puts those doubts to rest, and that was not good logic at all. It's inter- I-, I mentioned before I was going to talk about a player who 
came into the WNBA as a point guard and had immediate success and then kind of fell off. And that was Crystal Dangerfield. It was very strange seeing her just not be able to put the ball in the hoop in, in, in 2021 after a really good offensive rookie season in 2020. You mentioned that the, the level of competition was different. And yeah, I agree. Like there were just weren't as many good centers playing in uh, 2020 as they were in 2021. But when her finishing was very poor, uh, I'm glad you brought up, uh, I'm glad you said that the truth is likely somewhere in between because I almost have the exact same thing in my notes. I'm willing to basically just split the difference here in between her first two seasons. Obviously, I don't think she's as good as what she showed in 2020, but I don't think she's as bad as what she did in 2021. The only thing that she, she's never going to be able to change how tall she is, which really stinks. And it's, it's kind of limiting her ceiling. You know I mean? It's going to keep her off the floor in certain, in certain, uh, certain circumstances. So it's just the question is how broad are those circumstances? Is she going to be able to run this team for the future? I mean, she got beat out by, by Lasia Clarendon, who was basically signed as a free agent in the middle of the season. And I mean, that's I mean, not, not just Clarendon, Eric, but she pretty much got beat out by moving Ariel Powers to a different position. Right, 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 right. That's true. That's true. I mean, the Lynx, the Lynx starting point guard position was a disaster without Clarendon and Dangerfield's ineffectiveness was a huge reason why. And it's a bummer, but I mean, that's, that's what happened. And um, she's got to redeem herself next year, point blank. Okay. So I am at my final tier here, um, starting at number 22. Are you also at 22? I'm at 23, so close enough. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to run through 22 through 25, and we can see kind of if if any of these players even line up. 22, I had Heidemann. 23, I had Taya Cooper. 24, I had Gabby Williams. And 25, I had Dee Richards. Uh, and then to round out this entire group, I also had Garantis, Kennedy Burke, Ruthie Hebert, Kylie Shook, Dana Evans were all kind of in that, in that same tier, um, but didn't quite make the 25. Okay, so I had Heidemann at 23. I agree with you. I had Williams at 24, and I had Kitty Lou Samuelson at 25. Okay, that that's a, a great list. No argument there. I think there's a very strong argument for Samuelson to be um, over a lot of the players that I had 23 through 25 here. Uh, an oversight on my end, admittedly. Did you want to dive into to any of these players? I know we're running a little long here. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about Heidemann because uh, you're the sun guy, and it just felt... <laughs> It just felt wrong to leave Heidemann off this list. I'm not sure if she's if her ceiling is any higher than what she's shown in her first three seasons in the WNBA, but she's so valuable to that team and her ability to just go out and get a bucket in the half court. I, I'm I'm kind of wondering if if her impact is being overblown because the Suns the rest of the Suns backcourt just can't score, or if she's like a legitimately good WNBA player. What do you think? I think it's the latter. Uh, the, 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 there's certainly some of the former, but I think her shooting versatility, you know, there's a reason that I have her over some of these other players here in, in a pretty steep group of players. Um, but, you know, her, it's not, again, she, she's not just kind of like a standstill shooter. She has some real versatility to her jump shot. You know, I think coming into this season uh, and, and over the past couple seasons, really, like you were kind of hoping for a little bit more defensively from Heidemann, but even still, I, I think, you know, and, they had a really hard time. You know, they ended up starting Kyla Charles over Natisha Heidemann uh, when they desperately needed offense because they just didn't have any confidence in Heidemann's defensive abilities. Um, but I don't think there's really a true kind of two-way player remaining in this group here that, that can be really effective on both ends. Yeah. So I think with, with what Heidemann gives you offensively is kind of more than any one other player gives you on either end. Okay, that's a great, that's a great succinct way of putting it. Um, and we both had Gabby Williams at 24. This was actually, um, I had her at 14 last season, and this is maybe a little fair, unfair because she didn't play last season, but 
this might be another case of, of readjusted priorities on my part. It's very frustrating to me because she's very clearly a great athlete who is very talented and theoretically should be a versatile player, but she just hasn't really excelled at any one position in her career yet. And I mean, the defensive playmaking is definitely plus, definitely a plus, but she hasn't really been able to match that either since her rookie season. It just feels like, how long do we need to wait for this clear potential to be fulfilled? Will it be fulfilled? You know what I'm saying? I do. And Williams was a player that I didn't even have listed last year um, and kind of just rose because there was uh, an, an absence of other uh, capable, uh, default, guess, huh? you know, okay. shoe-ins. Um, but, you know, like like you said, you know, they tried her at the four, they tried her at the three, tried her at the backup point guard, and she wasn't even she wasn't really able to kind of click succinctly in any of those spots. But, uh, you know, between kind of coming into a new situation that I think is going to play to her strengths a little bit more and how productive she's been for Sopron over the last couple of seasons where she's able to maybe leverage her athleticism uh, more, more so than in the WNBA, I am willing to just kind of bet on it, I guess, a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that is going to come around for Williams, I think it is that defensive playmaking. Because if she can like jump the passing lane and get out into the open court, she's giving herself a much better chance to use those physical gifts uh, advantageously. So um, we'll see about Gabby Williams. And then uh, Samuelson, I mean, it was, it's weird because like 2021 was the first season in which she shot the ball at least decently, but I still need to see more. You know, it, it seemed like her best looks were actually in transition. So... She was ranked in the 88th percentile among transition scorers, which is really good, and in the 14th percentile spotting up. That's really not good. That's a huge difference there, and I'm wondering if that's just like, is that variance? Is it, you know, her offensive game? I, I think she's just limited athletically, Stephen. You know, I mean, in, in a half court, yeah, she's tall, but can she leverage it against set WNBA defenses? I don't know. Yeah, the... <laughs> I'm just going to open up here. This was an oversight. I don't know how Katie Lou Samuelson wasn't on my list. I'm going to move her to 20, 23 uh, in between Heidemann and Taya Cooper uh, okay. with Gabby Williams rounding out my uh, list at 25. But she's a good enough offensive player, just like Heidemann, where you know we know that there are certain things that she can at least provide positive value. Uh, I think I'm not an, as high as her as you know the Seattle Storm may be or that Brianna Stewart may be, um, but she's at least you know, as someone who has not yet played her age 25 season, certainly I think deserves uh, serious consideration for, you know, the back end of this list. And I think one thing I have been really critical of Samuelson's defense, I don't think she's a, a good defender still, but I think she has improved it enough to be like, well, you know, it, it's whatever. Like as long as she's standing in the corner, or as long as she's having some sort of action coming off screens, you know, I think she uses her length well defensively it's not impossible to have a good defense with her out there i would say right right exactly she's not going to kill you defensively um i i think she uh she she's she uses that wingspan of hers she's what six foot two six foot three whatever i think she's listed at six three but you always you know subtract an inch off of that um she just doesn't have the foot speed but she at least knows how to defend you know she, she's not getting totally lost out there so i will give her credit for for improving upon that it's just can this shooting be cons- I mean, she's got the reputation of being a knockdown shooter, but it's like, are we going to see it? She's gotten slowly better, but I, I just have to wonder if that's either, um, you know, small sample size and variance, or like I said, is her release like too slow for the WNBA level? Is it is it too low? Like, what is it? But I'm, I'm still including her in my list. All right. So before we wrap up here, uh, let's 
just get into some of our biggest risers, biggest fallers, some uh, some of the placements that we were not so confident about this year. I'll go first with some of my biggest risers. Saboli, uh, moving from six last year to three, you know, maybe not one of the most, you know, one of the biggest numeric risers, only three spots, but, you know, six to three, I think is a, a more significant leap than, you know, rising more spots necessarily kind of lower in the teens uh, or something like that. Ezzy Magbiger for me, moving from 23rd last season all the way up to 10th this year. You know, I think last year I just was not very confident in the sample size, you know, less than 300 minutes last year. But I I think pretty comfortably that was sort of the biggest uh, rankings, you know, riser there. Uh, Tierra McCowan moving up five spots from 19th to 14th this year. And then Marina Mabry moving up seven spots from 20th last year to 13th this year. You know, before I go, that's that's an interesting point you you brought up about Magwiger and the overall sample size. It, it's something that I, I mentioned repeatedly throughout this little exercise here is that when you're projecting uh, where different players are going to end up or who you'd rather have moving forward, uh, you still need evidence to work off of. And Magwiger for me as well, uh, really rose. I had her ranked 21st last year, and she's all the way up to 9th on my list. I totally agree with you. I think not only did she add to that sample size, but she, she improved upon it. You know, it really made me feel good about her chances moving forward. Um, I also had Tierra McCowan moving from 22nd all the way up to eighth. Again, I think that's, uh, maybe just a little bit of a priority change for me. You know, I, I, I delved deeper into the offensive rebounding and, and free throw rate and fouls drawn, as you said, those statistics. And I think that stuff is just super valuable to have. Um, so, so were those two players, consecutive last year and then all the way this year in the single digits as well yes they actually were yeah that's funny you picked up on that i don't know how that how or why that happened but that's a good observation um and then also for some reason i had atkins rated eighth last year ariel atkins and she's up to fourth this year but again i think just change of priorities um i i mentioned that she's just so consistent in what she brings and she's such a given on both ends of the floor that you know i I would feel very comfortable um i wouldn't say building around her but taking her moving forward over some of these players. Um, now, would you want to do biggest fallers as well? Yeah. Uh, you want to go first? Do you want me to go first here? I have yeah, I'll go first. Yeah. Um, my biggest faller was Gabby Williams. And like I said, this may be a little unfair considering she didn't even play last year, but I don't know, Steven, you know, looking at the, looking at her career arc thus far, um, it just seems, and you know, getting an extra year of watching basketball, really, it just kind of, it worries me, you know, her career arc and she's had a lot of potential athletically, but is she ever going to reach that potential? I don't know. Um, watching her in EuroLeague for Supper and Basket is, has been awesome, obviously, but that's a whole different level of competition, Steven. So is Williams going to be able to break out? You know, like you look at, she's on the Sparks now. Where is she going to play? What position is she going to play? Who is she going to be battling uh, for, for minutes? There's a whole lot of questions about Williams' game that several seasons into her WNBA career still need to be answered. Yeah, and Williams was actually on my players that I feel the most uncertain about. So I'll just kind of piggyback off that before getting into my weaknesses here. Just because, you know, having her on the list, she's already going into her age 25 season. And if she's just the player that she was over her Chicago career, you know, there's just several players that, that should have made the list over that player. So kind of betting on that. EuroLeague resume uh, is something that I, you know, I don't feel great about having her on there. Um, you could say that about so many players. Like, oh, they're great in EuroLeague. Well, okay, you know. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, so my biggest fallers, um, Arike falling from number five last year to eight. Again, not the biggest drop in the world, but pretty notable. Um, just a, a lot less confidence that she can just be the main offensive driver of a really good offense. Uh, I actually had Lauren Cox 13th last season to not on the list this year um, and really wasn't even in, in consideration. You know, I ranked all the way down to kind of the early 30s and Cox wasn't really anywhere to be found. Um Crystal Dangerfield moving from eighth in 2020 to, you know, the the early 20s this year. I think I had her 20 or 21. And then Bella Allery moving from 10 to 15. Again, and, you know, oh, and also uh, Leanna Odom being the final player on my list last year to overall, you know, for all these players, this is just a, a much weaker list, particularly at the bottom of the list. So to not make it this year is probably noteworthy. You know, that makes me wonder when we do this again next year, that's kind of a good way of comparing drafts, right? Because then, then we're going to have a whole new wave of players coming in. And depending on how many 2022 draftees make our list next season, it could, it could really be an indictment of, of this past draft class. But that's an interesting one. I, I totally forgot about the, I totally forgot about Dangerfield, but I think she deserves a mention as well. I mean, man, that 2021 season was really rough for her. And, and like I said, and I, I believe you said as well, I think the truth lies somewhere in between her 2020 and 2021 seasons. But those those questions about her, her height and her size aren't going to go away. So some players that I, uh, aside from Gabby, that I just did not feel very confident in my placing, Charlie Collier, you know, I didn't necessarily see see a ton of, you know, really, really promising film. But, I mean, she was one of the, the top picks, the number one overall pick. You know, you kind of consider her in, in a walk both number ones because you don't really know yeah. who Dallas would have taken if, if they only had one pick there. But, you know, there's, I just don't know. Was she too low? Was she too high? Like Collier could really just go uh, either way this time next year. Another one for me that um, after really talking it out with you on the show, having Brianna Turner over Ezzy Magbiger, I really don't feel good about my placement there at all. Like I just feel much better about Ezzy being able to stay on the floor against good defenses in a playoff series where Turner, you know, we've already kind of seen her get, get schemed out there. Um, you, I have a couple more, but do you want to jump in here? Yeah. Yeah. I'll add to that. Um, that's a good point. And it's something that I considered when I was initially making my list, you know, there are so many players on here where I thought about, okay, there's not a lot of evidence for this player being good, but there is a lot of other evidence for this other player, you know, struggling so far. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I put Queer so far ahead of Collier. You know, neither of them really played that much in Dallas, but I feel like Collier, really, this is going to sound harsh, but got a chance to show what she needs to work on. As far as Queer, I mean, it's it's still basically a mystery box, although... I mean, I mean, Collier was like getting the nominal starts where, you know, Awak was not even really getting off the bench for the first two months of the season. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. You know, I mean, Collier kind of... She was kind of given an opportunity, but then she kind of lost it. I mean, that was a bad situation anyway. But um, yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point for sure. Would you like to continue? Sure. Allery at 15, even though she dropped considerably, it could still definitely be a reach. That, that's pretty high. Uh, also having Sabrina Ionescu over Kennedy Carter, something I, I did not take lightly. I put a lot of thought and research into it, but there's just still, I think, a very clear path to that being the wrong choice. Um and then just my entire bottom of my list, you know, 22 through 33 or so, like I just have no confidence at all in how I kind of sorted that giant morass of of young players and who I really have confidence in to be kind of long-term contributors. Well, I mean, isn't that how the, how this exercise usually goes, though? When, we're, when you're ranking things into tiers, the tiers tend to get 
larger when you get towards the bottom there. Um, and I mean, that's not really a bad thing. I, Allery, I totally agree with you. I, I had questions about ranking her because again, like it's hard to rank a player who just doesn't shoot the basketball or it's hard to evaluate a player who doesn't shoot the basketball. Um, could that be her role just on Dallas? Maybe. But again, like it, it, are they doing that because they have that much confidence in their other players or because they don't have much confidence in Allie herself looking to score the basketball? I mean, it's... Or, or does I, she not have confidence to score the exactly, basketball? Exactly, exactly. So I think it's a very fair question. Um, again, a lot queer. Still a total question mark for me. That ranking is entirely on potential and you're even higher on her than, than I am. And then again, UNESCO... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to group these three together. UNESCO, Ogunbowale, and Carter, Kennedy Carter. I was going back and forth with all these different orders, five through seven for them. So if it turns out that Carter has a better career than UNESCO, we'll not be surprised. If it turns out that UNESCO has a better career than Ogunbowale, we'll not be surprised. It's, uh, But I think it's, I think it's fun that way, you know? Having three very young, very talented players who are all clearly going to be, you know, among the best of their uh, of their generation of WNBA players still fighting it out to really establish themselves among the league's elite. I was a little surprised that you did not have Jocelyn Willoughby on your list. Yeah, that's that's a little off off brand for me cuz uh, I'm a big Willoughby fan, but I'll get, again going back to the whole lack of evidence thing. I mean, it was really weird last year how she just didn't get to play that much when New York had very little to play for anyway. In in 2020, and, you mean? Yeah, 2020. My bad. Um, that's not an indictment of Willoughby herself, because I don't, I don't think that would be very fair. But when you couple that with the fact that she's now coming, she missed the entirety of 2021 with an unfortunate Achilles injury. I mean, how, how much I, I'd be comparing her to players who have played a lot more both in 2020 and 2021. So there's just not a lot to, to go off of there. If she comes back next year strong and healthy and, um, you know, she plays well. I wouldn't be surprised to see her make this list, but I just can't, with the amount of data and the amount of information that we have right now, put say, confidently say, yeah, I'd love to have Willoughby on my team moving forward. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. That's why she was not really in the mix too much for me. Uh, anything else you wanted to add or you want to wrap up here? Is there anybody you felt really bad leaving off? Uh, well, I wanted to I wanted to include Dee Dee Richards for sure. Um, you know, she was just on the outside. Um, a player that I think got maybe a surprising amount of consideration from me given how critical I've been of certain elements of her game Kylie Shook uh you okay. know I think the the path is is there and something that I said about Shook a, a couple of times I, I think on the podcast or maybe privately is just that what she does well I think is more nuanced than the things she does poorly her not amazing hands or the finishing around the rim like the things that she does not do well i think are very obvious you know kind of oh my god how did you miss that layup type stuff but she does have a, a lot of really uh important skill sets in terms of you know her her pick and roll defense but just having good defensive positioning and kind of knowing where to be kind of doesn't matter if you Teams are still kind of scoring over you all the time if, if you're not really much of resistance there. But still, between her defensive fundamentals and her three-point shooting, which, you know, is 38% or so last year on 40% of her shots or so, that's that's pretty encouraging. And if she can just get the three-point rate up over, over 50% and, you know, maybe bomb away a little bit more and not be so hesitant kind of taking them, as well as, you know, just not getting killed on the glass and getting killed... Uh, defensively at the rim, you know, by some bigger centers. Uh, I think there there could be a real player there. Okay. 
good stuff. And that's and like you said, very nuanced. I like that uh, explanation. It, it it really feels better when you break it down like that instead of just saying, "Yeah, this player has no chance at all." You know, because I mean, they're they're professional basketball players. There, there should there should usually be some sort of path there, whether you know, depending on how realistic it is or, or not. It's it's good to look at it through that lens. Um, well, one, from, one more, I, I think, will transition to probably okay. uh, your list is Kennedy Burke, uh, yeah, a, a player who you know has three like legit three and D skills. If the three can ever really consistently come around, Kennedy Burke was originally on my list. And then I realized that we were both doing this exercise in completely different ways and I had to exclude her from the list. But um, one thing that I was I was thinking about when I was considering Burke is what is her position? Um, I mean, she came into the league as a wing and you thought, okay, she's a really good wing defender. But as the season rolled on for Seattle, I was thinking more and more, this is a small ball four. Because I don't think she's got like the ball skills to really succeed on the wing, but she does have the length and the athleticism and, of course, the defensive capability to guard some fours, or at least some smaller fours, and maybe an aggressive defensive scheme. And then when you looked at what Seattle was running out there, I mean, they had basically a revolving door of small forwards. And Burke was having an awfully t- difficult time um, beating out both Samuelson and Talbot, who were both three-point shooters, you know? So, like, what is Burke's role on that team? I don't know. I- I'm not sure if she is going to see much more playing time in 2022 if she's on Seattle. So I don't know. What do you think? Or or even functionally, you know, beating out Jordan Canada in some of those three guard lineups. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the I was thinking while you were talking about her position, like, is she just maybe the second forward next to like a Katie Lou Samuelson, where Samuelson can be, I guess, a little bit more present with her size defensively, but makes up for Kennedy Burke's deficiencies offensively. I still signs, I guess, indicate that she's going to be a four, but I. I don't have a ton of confidence that she can just hold up there with her size against, you know, some of the best fours. Okay. I mean, that, that's a legitimate concern, of course, uh, of course, but when you're talking about any kind of quote unquote small ball four, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. If you put her in the same lineup as someone like Samuelson, we're going to end up cross matching anyway. I guess it doesn't matter who's, who's the three and who's the four, right? Well, this was, this was a lot of fun. Um, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can Follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. We will be off next week as we uh, bumped this up for uh, the second one up for the holiday. So we'll be off that first week of January, but we'll be back soon with um, something. Something indeed. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you're all having a wonderful holiday season. Stay safe and stay healthy, and we'll see you next time.